and welcome to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. I'm your host, Brian. With me tonight is Mac. Hey. And of course, Ian. Hey. And once again, Eric. Howdy, howdy. How are you guys doing tonight? We are doing all right. Yeah? Yeah. Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. Well, I get better. Bad. Bad. It's not a ringing endorsement, but it'll have to do, won't it? It will. You want a ringing endorsement? I could go get some bells. How about just a promo? We just we need to do a promo. Okay. We have promos? <laughs> we don't have a promo. All right. Well, we've been busy this week. Uh, Ian and I, I guess it was last week, right? We went to see uh, Christopher Moon, didn't we? Yep. With the uh, with the Mile High Skeptics. And uh, that was uh, quite the experience. Uh, Ian, you want to tell us your thoughts? Um. Wow, where to begin? <laughs> Okay, so well, uh, let's talk guy, first. He, well, hold on. Oh, are you gonna? Uh, we need that. Let, let's t- tell people who Christopher Moon is. Okay, um, he's supposedly a medium that can talk to the spirits, including Abe Lincoln, uh, John Lennon, and of course Hitler. Apparently, came into one of his conversations once. <laughs> so he's quite popular, right? So he he's a uh, he's a spirit medium who, of course, used to be a rock and roll star. And uh, yeah. I guess that didn't I, go so well. His mother had funded that project, and now she's funding this one. And so he has um, um, a box called a Frank's box, and you can you can find the Frank's box um, on the internet, and you can find several other resources. And it's been on several of these paranormal shows and stuff like that. And he claims to be able to um, talk with the with the spirits through the Frank's box. And Ian, did you ever look because I we we have a different we interestingly enough we had a different understanding of how this works. Well, the what I saw almost says that both of us are right. It doesn't really explain exactly. Okay. And we both got different interpretations on how it works. Okay, so give and, me your interpretation. Okay, the way I understood it was the box scanned the AM frequency, and that would allow the spirit to pick up sound in order to communicate with us okay. on this side. Mm. So what we were, would be hearing would not be their voices, but would be the voices they made using the sound that's out there. Okay. So my what I got from it was that they that okay. So the box scanned through frequency, and it scanned much like a trunk tracker. You know, it was scanning. It would it would jump from frequency to frequency to frequency, only staying in one spot for for a short amount of time, and it would clip through these frequencies. Um, and and I thought it was more than just AM. I thought there were several different bands that they that they were using. That's almost irrelevant. And then he would tell the ghosts in some of the videos that I watched to speak into this thing and so that they could hear him. So my understanding was that they were speaking into a device that the spirits were, and then it was coming through the box. So and that and and he he does that in several of the videos. Tells them you know to to speak and to. So he so he makes a, a he made a lot of different claims as we went through this. So he 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 speaks to these, and of course, it, Frank's box doesn't work for everybody. It only works for mediums. So you have to you have to already be a spiritual medium in true order. True mediums thing. like him, <laughs> right? True mediums like him. He's well, he's doing a sales pitch. And yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll get on to that, but first we need to, to talk about what he's claimed to do. So I guess if he's going to sell you a Frank's box, then he suddenly discovers that you are a true medium as well. I don't know that he sells them. It's Frank that is the designer of the And he talks okay. about his relationship with Frank. He also talks about how he has a spirit technician <laughs> by the name of Tyler. Well, he started off... Hold on. By the name of... Tyler. Tyler. Yes. Durden. 
Not Tyler. So he... Okay, he, he started a whole presentation by going through all the more common known forms mm. of um, talking with the dead. Ouija boards, crystal balls, all that. And he basically went through and showed how every single one of those that is not his Frank box does not work. No, no, that's not at all what he did. Uh, what well, uh, does not work or is dangerous? Oh, exactly, exactly. Or, or he talked about Ouija boards and how they tend to talk to the um, lower realm of spirits or demonically possessed spirits, and so that they're not they're not a good way. And how they're using your energy, and how a lot of these things use your energy. And he talked about hold seances. on, he's getting Hitler, and he's criticizing other methods. I think I'd rather get demons than Hitler. Well, Hitler interrupted. Hitler one of interrupted. His... Yeah. Ah. So he's very rude, apparently. Yeah, so he talked about. Boxes went... interrupt us. He went to a séance where he where he talked to spirits, and he also, um, in of course, the, at the séance they weren't able to. Nothing happened. So he says séances might work, but he's never seen it. And so he couches a lot of this stuff in those respects. You know, he he's very clever about not and never saying not that something doesn't work. Either he doesn't like it because it uses your energy, or he hasn't seen it work, or you know. So he he tries to appeal to skeptics well, and he does that several times throughout his presentation. But basically, the end result is nothing else is good. Hitbox and the people that know how to use them like he does are what is the best accurate way to communicate with the right. dead. Because it's not using your energy. And he also takes the time to go through all of the other boxes that are on the market and why they're not as good as he's used. It's running up your electric bill a bit. Um, so no you more saw him. Ready. Yeah, we saw him. Now, we didn't... And did you hear anything that sounded like convincing convincing? conversation coming from Frank's box. No, he uses a lot of... He, he's very much using pareidolia techniques. Okay, so in other words, he's hearing... If if it's anything like the video of him that I watched, he's hearing static, and he's translating the static. Right. Yes. And what, and what he does very cleverly is he, as the static is being is going, and there's so the, and the entity is supposed to be saying something, he puts the words up there. And okay. so he so as you're so as you're listening, you're reading the words, and so you're much more likely to hear him. So he so of course he, yeah. So that's it's audio par- pareidolia is what he was saying. Um, to do that. And so what I did when I listened to a lot of his stuff online is I purposely didn't watch the video and I tried to make out what we said. And to me, it sounds like a CB or some sort of radio with the squelch down. You can yeah, get it sounds the, like exactly. as he's twisting dials. It sounds like it's going up and down. It's it sounds like it's between two frequencies. Right, because he's constantly they're constantly changing frequencies, which probably has a lot to do with it. the other thing that I noticed is that in in some of these videos, he's holding the antenna, and I, I, you know that you know when you touch an antenna for a TV and stuff like that, you'll get you're going to like affect it, right? So I think that might be part of what 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 you're hearing is him, you know, manipulating the antenna because certainly now he did give us a live demonstration. Yeah, we didn't um, get. Yeah, these are from videos that I've seen online, and if you go to um, YouTube and put in Christopher Moon, you'll find the video. I, I've linked to um, did for to several video uh, video on YouTube, but I also was intrigued by another claim that he made, and that was that when you're when you die at the time of death, your body loses a certain amount of weight, and of course he says in scientific. Can't it. So I did a little. So I did a little checking on that, and I, and there's a movie about it, of course, and it's there's called a movie. Twenty One Grams, and what the claim is at the time of death, your body loses twenty one grams. 
Now, this research was done back in 1907 by... It was was actually done... There was research along these lines done before 1907. Okay. But go ahead. Okay. I didn't... I didn't find any of that when I was looking. I did uh, the only research that I could uh, that I knew for sure happened was uh, Duncan McDougall. That Duncan, it's certainly at least Doctor McDougall. And Doctor McDougall started out with he he was he was uh, he was a Christian, and his agenda was was to prove that the body had a soul. And he thought that he could prove that by showing that the body lost lost weight at the time of death, and that that would prove a soul. So he did these experiments. He had the bed. And so that he could, it says a scale beam. I, there, there's no picture. I, I'm not so. I, but basically, yeah. well, essentially, like how a the scale. If you think of how the setup would have to be, the um, scale is probably underneath the actual mattress, and that way you could put the mattress and stuff on, and it, um, right. accurately say, okay, you know, that's the weight of the mattress. Anything on top of that is the body. So he did that with six different people. Now, three of the tests we know for sure were no. Um, two of them were probably okay. Well, I mean, the, he doesn't claim to have had any problems with um, But there is some issues with his methodology, you know, getting on the body. He's trying to make sure that there's air in them and stuff like that. So he, he does everything he possibly can to, um, at the time of death to make sure that there's nothing else fearing his uh, his measuring. The issues, one of the issues I have is like 21 grams is not a lot and is difficult at those kinds of scales to measure, I would think. Um, so it's doubtful that he could have, that his equipment could have been that accurate. The other issue, um, well, the, if you go through the article, the, he had trouble pinpointing the exact time of death. And this has been gone on, been it's basically been refuted. It ha, it hasn't been replicated. There's really nothing to this. It's it's a sample size of basically two people. Right. That he that he gets this from. There's there's nothing statistically significant about it. Um, his choices in people that of course were dying. He tried to choose people that were dying in ways that would keep them still. Of course, you know any because any movement can would affect the measurements. This this is difficult to do even today to get accurate numbers, spe- particularly down to like what twenty one grams is right. like what a third of an ounce. And still, you said he had, oh, three quarters. I don't know if three quarters. People he did there was only two accurate. Te- you can't base anything off of tests. That's true. You, yeah. Yet, so yet this is just of time and people falling for it still these years. Right. So people continue to promote this as you know as statistically valid. When you hear him talk, he he doesn't he doesn't qualify it in any in any way. He just says this is what happens. Scientists can't explain, it. and they love to say scientists can't explain it. Well, maybe we can't explain it right now. But that doesn't mean that it's not explainable by science. And that's a that's a kind of a fallacious argument here a lot. Right. So, um, go ahead. Sorry. So he he makes he makes that as if you know that there's something to it, which I mean, after looking into it, I I would not be able to support that as the definitely not right. Yeah. So that that's one of the things he uses. Then any then when his Q and A, any questions asked, and these people would ask about shadow men and all sorts of other <laughs> ideas that are out there. He would work everything into his overall really nicely, really you know. Fit it right smoothly. It's like, hey, look, you know, every conspiracy theory you guys have fits in with what I'm claiming. Right. He's very good at listening to what the people say, validate it, and then kind of shape it into his view of, and 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 kind of you know push it in to make it so so it fits in with everything he's doing. Every question that was brought up, he made fit into his perception. 
And even as far as uh, Jeff Peckman was there, and they talked about Stan Romanek's alien video, and he was even able to in, to incorporate that into his view of things by by shaping that into the the gray aliens actually being time travelers that are coming back in some reason to talk so to Stan Romanek. He's got a pretty eclectic. He's got a pretty eclectic take on metaphysics, anyway. He's a slick salesman, is what he is. He is he the the guy. I mean, when he, you're sitting there, and I noticed this with him and Jeff Peckman both that as you're sitting there that they they're giving you information they're making you feel like you're in the know like you're part of something that everybody else doesn't see and that you're helping to get the truth out there it's like going to any multi-level marketing um product you know that they tell you that you're going to be rich that you're getting in on this and you know you're you're going to be able to go out there and make money doing this and they kind of you know it's kind of a rah 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 type of thing and so you see you see the same kind of language um all of the all of jeff peckman used it he used it and i and 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 after going to several of these pyramid skims you know and listening to how they talk and real estate type stuff it's all the same type of make the person feel like they're special and they're in on something and and you know so they're getting something that nobody else so it's it's a very slick um marketing speak is what it comes down to this way i felt sitting there it's very difficult to sit through this um, I I had thought there were earlier experiments with weighing weighing bodies and souls, but I think that this McDougal's experiments actually harken back to what I was thinking of, which is Aquinas's reasoning, Thomas Aquinas's reasoning that animals have no souls because they have no sentience. Right. He he did the and same thing. With he animals. was trying to prove Aquinas right, essentially. Yeah. But uh, I, I had a thought as I was as I was looking through this and trying to find some prior experiment of weighing souls. I'm wondering if tension going out of the body after the moment of death could could account for that 21 grams of weight. Well, and moisture because muscles go slack. The release of moisture can't account for it. But here's the thing: is that we we have no evidence. We have nothing to suggest that it actually happened. He had Correct. several different weights, um, and and so it was so the weights weren't consistent. Which if this maybe different people's souls weighed different amounts. I mean that's fine. But his methodology is is the real problem. Is that's what was flawed? And you know pushing on the people's stomachs. At, you know, uh, or on their chest to make sure there's no air and stuff like that. That's really where a lot of the issues come in in his methodology. Yeah, and he's definitely going to alter alter his weights that way. Exactly. So, so it, it can it can't be. It would have to be redone. But like I say, it's difficult to do that. I mean, because you when you're weighing a person, actually, we'd probably be able to more accurately weigh anything along, along these lines today because we have more accurate measures. Yes, we would. But I'm but people moving and stuff like that, you know, you're gonna and have time to get of the, death is still a tricky thing, right? And time and time of death is. I mean, they call it right, but not after they've done everything they possibly can to personal lives. So there's ethical reasons that we can't do. Well, and bottom line, nobody ever dies until a doctor pronounces them. Even if they died in transit, they're not dead until the doctor pronounces them. Okay, so so when so, is the time of death actually, and what a point do you record? You know, the soul leaving the body. And he said, and the other interesting thing is, he says is some people's souls hang on longer. But you said the time of death. At the time of death, they lose this weight. But then you go and say that some, some people people's hold on souls to their hang soul around and, past the time of death. Right. So which is it? There's there's no consistency. So so it, it sounds like he had a view and he tried to alter his findings to explain it. Well, that he he. he it's clear he had a view. He started out with the intention, you know, to which I guess, you know, I guess that's not a bad thing. He used, but he, but his, his bias were already to to this, you know, it, it doesn't pass the bias test either. Yeah. So he altered the evidence that he get that he got 
<laughs> based upon to base it to base it upon whatever he got in in the study. That's certainly what it seems. Whatever like to the me. Eddie and whatever the evidence it was, it was still going to prove his theory. That's kind of no what I, how what. I feel. Yeah. Yeah. That's not. That's kind of not even a gray area of science. That's actually just just bad science. Period. Yeah, well, it, no science to it. Right. I, I would tend to agree. But so, it, it was educational in its own Yeah. Well, so now yeah. after talking to Brian and Baxter, there, there's a lot more to this story. And one of the things, and actually we'll talk about this later, is that when these group sessions are going on, it's easy to get sucked in. And in one of these, vi- I no, they don't, we don't video. He was talking to, um, oh, no, it's a, it's one of those radio hosts. Uh, who did he say that was? Anyway, um, Brian and Bax were there for this other session. During the session, these people are like, oh, wow, yeah, yeah. And then afterwards, thought about it and tell that it's like a lot of these after the cold reading to go back and analyze it. That was a hit. That was a hit. That was a hit. But what's on video and record is them going, wow, this, yeah, that, yeah. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on as well. And well, you know, we went, we talked in a prior podcast. I don't remember exactly what number it was right offhand, but we talked about wanting to go with the crowd, no matter whether the crowd is doing wrong or the crowd is doing right. Right. You've got a very, very strong urge to do what the crowd is doing to, uh, I guess be the crowd pleaser essentially. Right. And so like and we'll get down to the and one of our one of our stories that we're gonna be talking about later is faith. And we'll talk about the same thing there. Well and I guess Tyler, um, Baxter told me that Tyler that he knew Tyler in, in life, that before he died, he knew Tyler. And so all these things that he was saying that sounded amazing, you know, that, oh, the Tyler is amazing, convinced parents, he already knew those things about Tyler. So there was no new information changing. Um, <clears throat> I, I, that, and, you know, that, that seems like a lot of times how this stuff is done. You know, they get the information somewhere else. Um, that, that was what I remember from a conversation with Baxter about it. I, of course, I don't, he would have the documentation that I certainly, so that, that's, uh, that, that's hearsay from where I'm standing, you know, but right. I, but it is typical of the kinds of things I've seen go on. You know, it'd be like knowing you're going to do a psychic reading for somebody, Googling them, getting all the information you can about them so that you're prepped and ready when they show up at your, so you do kind of a warm for them types of things. So I, so we, so I know them, I know the method. I just can't for say for sure that that's what happened here, but it does sound like so. Anything else on that, Ian? No, I, I think, of course no. you know we we well, did we were out with the uh, um, with the uh, Mile High Skeptics for the wrap up on Sunday as well, and uh, we met some very nice people and some people and, that listened to the podcast. To the poss- oh yeah, I, yeah, I was that meeting led to the possibility. Go ahead. I was yeah, I I, well, I wasn't going to bring that up right at the that moment. That led but that's to fine. the possibility of a of a what of a what of a um of a live show full a podcast. Because uh, Michael was apparently a fan. Yeah. And um, he was willing to help us set up everything to do another live podcast. So that hopefully is in the works. I was, you know, hopefully after the Christmas season, I think we'll wait until the holidays over with. But so all of our fans out there in the Colorado area who'd like to see us live, we are in works and putting one together. All right. So, Ian, you wanted to talk about, um, well, I was going to say, um, you know, we met some of our, uh, some listeners. We met Kimberly. As uh, one of our listeners, and we met uh, a few, uh, well, we and we told a couple of people about the podcast, and of course, Reed and some other people were there. That um, so that was nice to to talk to some of our. That's always fun. Good local crowd, yeah. Yep, good peeps. So, all right, tell me about your story. Sorry, we got I okay. Well, I'll quickly sell my story. And don't move um, your head. Just for anyone interested in checking out my writing, 
um, in the December issue of the fifth D, which will be put up here in a few days. I do have a story in it. Go check it out. Vote for me. It's um, a, a good little uh, e- easing that um, has a lot of new writers quite often. If, if you're interested in writing, it's probably good market to try and you know send some of your stuff to. But this is you know the writing is what I have a passion for. This is what I do. You know the skeptic things. What I do for. Uh, hobby, more or less. Well, the writing is what I'd really like to focus on. So, if I ever get my writing published, I gotta promote it some. So, you don't make money at skepticism? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> and we did get a uh, a lovely email from Amara. Amara. Yeah. And uh, she so. was on the uh, conspiracy skeptic, and she mentioned us uh, to the interviewer, and so that was very nice to hear. And you know, she said since we incessantly asked for feedback. Uh, that she would send us some, and we do need validation. There is absolutely no doubt about that. We're we, you know, we're looking to validate our our existence. So we appreciate it when people take the time to do it, because our meager souls crave it. So what did she say? You know, talk about your own soul, buddy. My <laughs> my soul's way up there, like five hundred grams or something. Really, really, wow. Yeah. <laughs> we'll weigh you when um, you die. She's just she said that um, she likes what we're doing. It works for her. Um, she it took her some time to get used to my um, little speech issue, but uh, she has no problem with it. Yeah, and I wonder if that wasn't one of the reasons that that uh, she sent the email because that was one of the things that she did point out is that it took a little while to get used to Ian's lisp, but once she got past that, she really ends the show. So we appreciate that. Yep. All right. You want to talk about organic foods? I thought that was your article. It is. Okay. Well, we want to hear you talk about organic food. You want to hear me talk about organic food? We'd like to hear you talk about organic foods. So, you know, one, one, of, the, one of the issues, um, I, I went out to uh, to lunch with uh, some co-worker, and uh, we went to a place called Organic. And the food was good. No issue with the, with the quality of food and everything. It was good. But one of the things is, you know, I didn't really feel that organic food and organic farming was that much better than, you know, any other method. And I really didn't feel that the extra money that you pay for organic foods was really worth paying for. Um, and I, so uh, one of my other coworkers found this article. And so this article really actually reinforced a lot of things I was saying and that I had heard and read. Um, there has been some studies with this. And this article is straight from the beginning says you'd be hard pressed to find anything scientific that, you know, that would, you know, say that organic food. And it goes through and it talks about there was issues with farming and, um, you know, that that really did hurt land and hurt wildlife. It caused a lot of problems. In fact, some of these some of the things that probably happened with uh, with bad farming practices, you know, um, DDT might have gotten blamed when it might have been other things. Well. And there's a, a good article that Brian Dunning did on the Skeptoid podcast about DDT. If you're... So this so this goes through that, you know, the bad farming practice. But then it talks about how organic farming has um, influenced and kind of educated our farming practices. And, and so a, a lot of the good techniques that organics do are now being done with traditional farming. The, the differences come down to the pe- a lot of the pesticides and stuff that are being used um, and, uh, you know, and herbicides that are being used where uh, we have these synthetic pesticides that have been fairly well tested and we know quite a bit about. And then we have organic pesticides that we probably know less about and that are so the so we have pesticides that are organic that we, that we actually probably haven't tested quite as thoroughly have synthetic pesticides that we're using that have probably been tested more. But one of the interesting things that the article said is that that these plants 
over the years have developed their own natural pesticides. So when you eat these vegetables, you're eating 10,000 times, what, I I forget it was 10,000, I don't know if it was times or 10,000 more, 10,000 pesticides that are natural pesticides that the plant are producing. So the amount of pesticide that we're adding is minuscule compared to what the plant is already producing. So, and the article goes on to talk about, you know, the soil, and certainly organic soils have a lot of, you know, organic compound and a lot of life growing in, and this, but a lot of, but so do a lot of our traditional types of um, uh, farming soils that, you know, that they're trying to keep their um, soils better, more more bacteria, stuff that's good for them to keep the soil healthy. So, albeit, I don't think that organic farming is any better. I do think that its influence on um, traditional farming has been good and has made that better, but I'm certainly not going to go and buy organic products. I, I see no no value in doing. Something interesting I found in the article here, it's on the, uh, it's, like it's about the third page of the article. It's talking about if chemical pesticides are hazardous to health, then farm workers should be the most affected. And they did a 13-year study of 90,000, of nearly 90,000 farmers and their families. Um, people who had People, 65% of them had personally spent more than 10 years applying chemical pesticides, and there was no demonstrable link between their use of pesticides and increased rates of cancer, increased rates of brain-damaging diseases such as Parkinson's. The only one that there was an exception for was prostate cancer, and that seems to be linked to a particular fungicide called methyl bromide, Mm -hmm. which is being phased out. But, you know, it doesn't – there's no – there's no definite correlation between the use of chemical pesticides and poor health in the people that eat the eat the food or grow the food. Right. I found that uh, figure you were talking about uh, says that people consume about 10,000 times more natural carcinogens and synthetic Yeah, ones. there it is. Yeah, I just found that. Now, now I, I tend to reject organic food myself. I actually try to eat only inorganic food, and that's part of my weight loss plan. You know, I say that... Kids will eat cardboard if you put ketchup on it. Well, yeah, but kids can actually gain nutrition from cardboard. That's part of being a kid. And cardboard, organic. cardboard, dirt, Hot Wheels, whatever they eat, they they will digest it. Dimes, whatever. Yeah. So well, the, dimes come out the other end. So it's it's a fairly lengthy article, and and it's and it's pretty. I thought pretty thorough uh, on it's the very topic. Very good article. Yeah, and so now this article, of course, was from um, Cosmos. Uh, is that where? Oh no, yeah, yeah. Cosmos. Yes. Uh, the science not, of everything. Not Cosmo, but Cosmos. Cosmos. And this was back from 2007. Now, the um, I have heard about um, NPR was talking about a um, uh, a study done with strawberries, organic versus tradi- traditional. Oh, yeah, grown. That. What's that? I, rem- I remember hearing yeah. that one. And so I remember the details of The main differences were actually in, you know, the, the uh, organic ones were smaller, traditionally grown ones were larger. NPR totally missed the boat on this one um, because you know, they, they did try to, you know, they talked about how one was higher in this and one was higher in that, but there was, but it was less percent. It wasn't statistically different. Basically, nutritionally, they were identical. But NPR kind of tried to fudge that a little bit when they were interviewing the guys. And, the, the, it wasn't terrible, I suppose, but it was a little misleading because the actual numbers don't show a difference. I mean, it's within ten percent. So, I mean, so statistically, I mean, you wouldn't even you wouldn't even qualify it. So, but so that's one that I know that's happened since um, since this one this article came out. So, I'm not buying organic food. I want nothing my... but inorganic food. 
You know, and organic is such a nebulous term anyway. You know, I, I've read different things about what it's supposed to be and trying to pin it down. And it comes down, I think, some of it I think is supposed to be like the organic seeds. Are, your organic seeds are supposed to come from, you know, organic, organically grown things. But I think that you can fudge that and take seeds from um, inorganic um, vegetables and grow organic vegetables from them. You know, so there's so there's almost like with organics, the strict orthodox and then, you know, and then the kind of looser organic types. And so it gets fudged and blurred as well. So sometimes I don't know when these practices begin in it. And uh, yeah, because I, I worked for a um, for a company that grew wheatgrass for a while. That, that was an interesting experience. What kind of grass? Wheatgrass. Weedgrass? Wheat. Wheatgrass. Wheat. Wheatgrass is, is like, that's like a hot topic. Yeah, and it's tradi- you know, and nutritionally there's nothing in it. I mean, grass is 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 not a, not a great nutritional uh, supplement for anything. But it is for geese. They they do seem to eat more grass than I. And yes, cows, they do. but cows eat grass, right? Cows eat grass. Yeah, they yes. it, they have four well, stomachs. Yeah, but, but cows are designed by by nature to to eat grass and turn it into food. Right. For us. Right. They eat grass and turn it into hamburger. That's that's one thing that that, that this article did say. For us to grow all of our food organically, basically everybody would have to stop eating meat and we'd have to turn all of our pastures, you know, into organic farms. Yes. And we'd still starve. (laughs) Maybe. I mean. No, it it says in the article, we'd probably still starve. Oh, okay. Is that what it says? It does. Okay. I remember, uh, I didn't quite remember that it that it went that far. But that's okay, because, you know, the, the population of the world will be decreased by laptops anyway. So we need to eat all organically and buy everybody a laptop. All right. Ian, a laptop. Tell me tell me about this. <laughs> well, what, what, what am I looking at here? I'm not sure. I'm not. I can't read your mind, <laughs> Brian. I would read your mind. I would read your mind, but I'd only get it dirty. You know what? Jesus could. I'd read your mind, but I don't read Esperanto. <laughs> anyway, <Anyways>. Esperanto. <laughs> this How, is why, why are laptops going to lower my sperm question. count? <sighs> yeah, this is one of those studies that's a bit questionable. Okay. But the study is making the claim that laptops may harm sperm. Well, I would categorize this as one of the many studies that show that technology messes us up. Okay, I've okay. Seen Tell me. That claim that cell phone use gives you brain cancer, stuff right. like this. And this Tell me about the article. Like one of those. Tell me about the article. Okay, the article says that uh, in Canada they did a study and they found that sperm exposed in a laboratory laptop computer has lower levels of mortality. Okay. So basically, it's not going to be squiggling as much. Right. Well, so now here, the the article goes through and talks about people putting laptops on their laps and what it might be doing to your sperm count. And it talks about heat. It talks about heat through most of the article. And then as a side note, they throw in um, RF radiation. There's no link. Right. They have no link for that. We know that heat will lower, you know, um, sperm count. I mean, that's one of the reasons that, you know, that they're out there. So they can regulate the heat a little bit, you know, get the get the get your nuts away from your body so you can produce more sperm. Correct. But throwing the Wi-Fi radio waves in there is 
it's a it's a red herring. It's, it it's is a, they're yeah. saying, oh, and we think that this might be to blame. It's like what's backing that up? Right. They and they and they it's a it's one paragraph in here, and of course it's the one that stuck out to me. You know that they try and make that link, but and they and they say and they talk about DNA. Well, okay, which what did your study do? Did it did it check for sperm count or was it checking for damage to DNA? And so they switch topics on us right there because well. Okay. Am I wrong? The, 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 there were two papers. The Canadian one uh, was just about the sperm motility, and the uh, uh, Argentinian one was about the DNA. It, right. That's oh, okay. correct. The Argentinian oh, okay. one uh, uh, kept the control with, this, with the same heat, so they took heat as a factor. Oh, so even that one takes heat as a factor. Yeah. So, so is it the heat or so is it the from 15 patients and placed them under a device that kept the heat at average room temperature and others under a laptop. Okay, so they... they, they, they to one with I and uh, okay. Now, how long did they actually leave them under the laptop, though? I don't mm. think it actually says they. Uh, what I'm, from what I'm looking at here on this Canadian study, they didn't Our, actually use a laptop. They just simply took semen samples and placed it under heat. Okay. To to change to watch the difference in motility. So anything well, you put on your lap, even an electric blanket, yeah. could affect sperm. And how long are you going to actually hold a laptop on your computer to generate that kind of heat? My laptop? 20 minutes. It was a laptop desk. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Most people I know that have laptops don't really use them on their lap. Well, no, because it no. damages the power. People need to stop doing this because what happens is, is it puts stress on the AC adapter where it where it connects to the laptop and you ended up breaking that piece off the board. People stop doing that. So a lot of this stuff is really just you know looking at the extreme, which is what they often do in studies like this. You know, I, basically, I suppose if you have your laptop on your actual lap for an hour or two a day, you might have some problem. But the majority of the people out there are not going to have a laptop sitting on their lap for that long, if at all. It it seems to me, and and maybe it's just me that that by combining these two studies, they kind of muddied the waters. They almost took two studies and did a, did their own meta analysis of them and tried to, a, and tried to mesh them it, together. It's a cherry pick. Yeah, they basically had a oh we think this is going on, and these two studies back it up. Right. See. Yeah. So the yeah. Okay. So they I were could just as easily say that. You know, the laptop damages sperm production because the, the sperm get lazy because they're too busy surfing porn on the laptop. <laughs> Which happens. Your sperm jumps out and searches for porn on its own? Yes, it does. You know what? Okay. I can <laughs> prove this on a home computer. In my case, I'm trying to find a negative. <laughs> uh. Oh, and they worked in... Uh... Crocodiles with small penises in here. Yes, I, I noticed that too. I, I, even if crocodiles have small penises, I think they still have two. So they're one up on us in any case. <laughs> I'm pretty sure all reptiles have two penises. All right. True fact. True thing. Wow. Um, now I feel inadequate. Yeah. <laughs> what exactly does constitute porn for a, for a sperm cell anyway? Do they do they surf for pictures of really really you know good looking eggs with good genetic material? All it takes is a squiggle. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about myrrh. Okay. So last week we you had put an article in here, Mac, about myrrh. Yeah, I did. I threw an article in about myrrh in there. And uh, I to... didn't like your article. I'm sorry. I didn't like your article. I know you didn't. 
I know you did not, and it wasn't really a very good article when it came no. down to it. So it threw a little threw a little bit of tantalizing information up there, it but it really didn't have much to it. So it just showed that there may be some sort of a link between myrrh and helping with cancer. Right. So I decided oh, I was going to find out a little bit more um, because I felt like maybe it was unfair of me to you know to just. I mean, I, 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 I mean, I think the, I treated the article fairly, but maybe I didn't treat Murr fairly. So I decided to go ahead and, and do a little bit more research. So I found that um, what I found this first article that said some interesting things, and it claimed that there were some clinical summaries and stuff like that, um, which was interesting in and of itself. But mainly, what I took from here was the scientific, and I took that to PubMed, and PubMed had actually quite a few things about it, and I, I, I picked out two. Um, just to talk about real quickly, and there's more, and I'm hoping that you're, you'll take this and go further with this, and and see if there's anything more to it, because the, these two studies are, well, and frankly, they're they're not exciting, um, except for this one talks about the first one. They were trying to use it for a condition that I have no business even trying to pronounce, but basically, histosomiosis hematobium. Thank you, thank you. And is basically some sort of a, a worm that I guess is a para, I assume it's a parasitic infection. Uh, I I have a uh, um, a Wikipedia article that uh, we can find out more about it. Um, but in this particular study, um, it they they really did not get a statistical level that that showed it to do much good. Um, the next one was a little bit more interesting. Um, using myrrh as an anti-inflammatory. And I think that I had read something about um, people looking at myrrh um, being good for the stomach lining when you're using anti-inflammatory, which I was looking for that again. I haven't found that, but this one was interesting because they were looking at using it on um, abrasions on rats. I think I'm pretty sure it was rats. Um, that, you know, they would use use this on there, and they did show um, some level of extra healing. The, the, the number that well, they... That's kind of interesting because some of the stuff that I was looking at <laughs> seemed to indicate that myrrh can cause contact dermatitis. <laughs> So using it on abrasions is interesting. Yeah, I don't know. There might be different types of myrrh. This is the other thing is that it's how it's collected and how it's purified that might make a difference. You know, if you take it straight from the, the tree, grind it up, maybe it's something else in there that's causing that problem and not the myrrh in and of itself. And the, what they're using is probably a, a pure form of myrrh, um, and I, but I don't know. Um, you know, these... I think that the I think the preparation normally used in um, in herbal preparations is usually the myrrh gum, which I'm guessing would be more like a like a sap from the myrrh plant. Right, but what else is in that gum? That's a very good question. Yeah. So, and there there's always inert ingredients. The particular pre- preparation that I have a I have a like for and have used for you know, medicinal purposes on myself is a myrrh and golden seal combination, and it's also got cayenne pepper. It It seems to work for what I use it for, but I don't have any scientific evidence that backs it up. Only my evidence is all anecdotal. Right. So I want I want real evidence. I, I want I want people who have taken that and use it for what you're trying to use it for, and have shown in in a clinical setting that it works. Now, right now, all the research on myrrh is being done on animals. There, the, well, except for there, there was a um, another study about using it on your feet for um, for a diabetic condition. Um, as a topical ointment, and but okay. it was a but the study was self-reported, um, so I I, I can't and not just, peer-reviewed as right. yet. Right? No, okay. I don't know that any of these have been peer-reviewed as of yet. So that's the thing is that I th- these are just starting points, and and reading the abstracts, you don't get much out of it. But so this was interesting. But they did show it to work as as an anti-inflammatory in this situation. So to me, the thing that, that that's most interesting about myrrh right now is as an anti-inflammatory. 
that that's what the that's what I've seen the most evidence. So this would be interesting to take this and see if it's if it gets published and if it gets peer reviewed. Because right now, I mean, you you it's interesting, and you know, I don't know how to calculate the levels because they're talking about a significantly a significant p point uh, zero five elevation um, before either injury. I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to quantify that measurement. It had more white blood cell count. It was higher. And it was higher before the injury. So right, they had yeah. There was. So there's a couple of things going on here that it would be nice to see a review of it that was a little bit less technical and maybe more in-depth into, into their methodology. So this is a starting point for you. Right. And uh, so, I mean, I, as an anti-inflammatory, it looks like the, uh, is, is the, you know, looks the most interesting. Some of the other things that they're using it for, I'm not so sure. Well, and I'm, uh, my question is, are there better anti-inflammatories out there? Well, there probably are. And that's the thing is that the, 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 it's probably, you know, I, I don't know how it compares to other anti-inflammatories. That would be another thing that I would want to know. Well, I'll keep looking, and okay. hopefully we'll have some more on this next time around. In fact, maybe next time we'll just be the whole – we'll just be the Mer show. <laughs> no. It'll be a Mer special. Ooh. And we can do some stuff on gold and frankincense too. <laughs> All right. We're, on, we're talking about aging ills being reversed in mice. All right. Let's hear about it. Um, the – the article was interesting to me, both for the methodology and for what it might possibly show. Okay. They, uh, the study that's being worked on, they basically partially reversed age-related degeneration in mice. Um, they tweaked a gene. They reversed brain disease and restored the sense of smell and fertility in some, some mice. But the thing of it is the mice that they're testing this on we're also genetically engineered to age prematurely anyway. Right. And that was the first thing I caught. As soon as I saw that, I'm like, okay, well, to start off with, they're already messed up. So so we don't know if on. the yeah. reversal of the age-related degeneration is just simply straightening out what they did in the first place. So what kind of – I see. So they were knockout mice of some sort. Yeah. Is that – okay. But uh, they, they do plan on testing next on unaltered mice. So we'll see what happens there. I plan on keeping an eye on this one and see what comes up on this. But what they, what they find, what they found with this is that the prematurely aged mice, uh, they had decreased fertility, brain stopped producing new cells, and the sense of smell attribute. Um, they injected them with a, with a drug that switched on a gene which stimulated telomerase production. Telomerase is an enzyme that makes units of DNA that seal the tips of chromosomes, therefore the chromosomes don't degrade. It's like, uh, it's it's described as like a cap on the end of your shoelace, keeping your shoelace from fraying. Okay. okay. And actually, I first found out about telomeres in what book, Brian? I know you've read it or listened to it too. Um. Denialism? Nope. Contagious by Scott Sigler. Oh, he does talk about telling Good when... fiction yeah. and good science. Well, he is, he's pretty good, yeah. <laughs> good fiction and good science makes good science fiction. Okay. But um, it stimulated telomerase production, lengthened the lengthened telomeres to cap the ends of chromosomes, and they, in the mice that were so treated, they increased fertility, produced new viable sperm cells, their brains began producing new cells, and their sense of smell returned. So um, the treated animals went on to have a typical lifespan, although they did not live longer than normal mice. So again, the question is just, did it undo the damage that was already done to these genetically altered mice? Well, and why couldn't they continue to 
to regress them as they age? And that's a question that hopefully will be answered as we find, as we go along here. And, you know, what are the effects of laptops on mouse sperm? You know what? Excellent. <laughs> you know what? I had to take the electric blanket away from From the mice? From the mice. Don't your mice have electric... That's just okay. Cookies. <laughs> cookies. You know. If you give a mouse a cookie. Funny we should mention mice. We think that we have a field mouse that moved into the uh, residence here for the cold winter months, and we're trying to find a nice organic solution. Currently, our, our plan is to bring in like five elf owls and, and have them gang up on the mouse and, and just, just tar and feather him. You could eat the mouse. That would be organic. It could be. Yeah. I'm going with the owl solution, though. <laughs> All right. So, Faith Healers debunked by... Now, this was uh, a video... I forget exactly where I found it, but uh, it, uh, the Geek Goddess blog. Or, no, no, not Geek Goddess. Godless Girl. Godless Girl. Godless Girl. I'm plugging the wrong person, huh? So, th this gentleman by the name of Mike Harville used to be a Faith Healer, but as he was reading the Bible and reading the Scripture, he made the connection that faith healing was against scripture. So then he went about going through and kind of debunking faith healers and, and talking about the kinds of things that they're doing. Now, it's interesting. You know, I, I don't know. I, I question his motives <clears throat> because he was a Christian faith healer. And then all of a sudden he, you know, he, what now he just all of a sudden found God, he just found the scriptures. So I find that, I found that a little questionable, but what he found and what he's talking about um, is is pretty consistent with you know with um, James Randi and a lot of other people that I've heard talk about faith healer. Um, he talks about how he that he, he talked about uh, hypnosis and how a lot of people think that when you go into hypnotic trance that you're not aware or conscious of what's going on. He he says that when when you're when you're hypnotized you actually are conscious. So it's kind of just a a suggestive state perhaps. And so the, I mean, and you know, we can we could get into hypnosis too because a lot of this is probably the same tricks as magicians use for group hypno hypnosis, where you know the the group performs like they're hypnotized because that's just what they're supposed to do when they're on stage. So I found that interesting. Um, he talked about the language that they use that they'll continually repeat things, and you see this a lot with faith healers. Um, when you when you watch um, Peter Popoff and stuff like that, they have their their catchphrases that when they say them, you know, everybody gets excited types of things, and so they they get the crowd really um, energized, and and so and, they, and so everybody really gets sucked into what's going on, and that's kind of the same thing that we were talking about earlier, you know, getting getting the the audience in on it. And so, and if the audience is in on it, if everybody thinks that it's working and you're up there, you, you can't afford to be skeptical and go, well, is it working? No, no, you play along. And, and when he touches your head, you hit the ground because you know that's what you're supposed to do. You know, one thing is that when somebody goes in for faith healing, they're usually going in for faith healing because everything else has failed. So they've got so much invested in it that they're going to want to believe anything is going to work. They're going to want to believe that what is happening is going to work for them because that's all they've got left. And it's really actually kind of sad. Yeah. Well, one of the anecdotes that he tells is about a woman who went in to get her ankle fixed. Her ankle, she had hurt her ankle. And so afterwards, she, her ankle felt better. And she was also an epileptic. And so she threw out her seizure medication because she figured, because if God healed my ankle, well, my epilepsy, epilepsy was far more important. He must have healed that too. And unfortunately, uh, he had said that that one died. 
And so he, they went through and they talked about the dangers of pain. You know, that it, when pe- you know, people think that they're healed from something, you know, when, you know, of course, we have no reason to believe that they are. Um, and that can be one of the dangers involved with this kind of practice. But he also goes on to talk about, you know, they, 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 they get off onto um, uh, judgment and how, you know, that, um, you know, how you're not supposed to be judge people. But yet the Bible says in some places that you are supposed to judge people. And isn't there, you know, uh, let thou not judge people lest thou be judged? Judge not, let thee be judged thyself. There you go. I think it's actually judge not, lest thee be judged by the standard that you judge by. But so it was interesting that they, that you know that, that they could cherry pick the Bible to find places where they should judge shouldn't. It's a big book. It's a it's a big book. Well, and it's not a book. It's a library. Right. It's a collection of books. Which is why there's so many contradictions. You go from book to book, you find different things. I thought it was interesting. This was a sample from Way of the Master Radio, which, of course, we've talked about Way of the Master. Um, yep. And uh, so I, which is interesting that I, 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 I would not have suspected that I would find this kind of, of, of a program on Way of the Master. It's just not what I would have expected. But for the most part, I mean, even though I question some of his motives and wonder why, um, he 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 uh, he might have maybe maybe he really did find in the scripture. I I guess I don't know, but it just seems a little fishy to me that that's where he found it. So he went from being a faith healer um, to to debunking them. Was he not making enough money as a faith healer? Yeah, it's safe to say none of us is actually a scripture expert. Well, yeah, it, it is safe to say that. Maybe it really is in the scripture. He didn't say which which um, what piece of scripture um, brought him to that. And I guess that would be interesting. Where did he read that in the Bible? I guess that's what I would like to know. Where where in the Bible is is does it say that? I would be curious to find where in the Bible it is. I'd also be curious to find out what the context is because the Bible is a is a is a massively cherry picked item. Yeah, absolutely. People take what they want out of it and they ignore a lot of other things that happen to be around it. Right. So it was interesting, but it, it actually brought up a lot of questions for me that I need to look into. So but it it was quite interesting. And it's a good little clip. All right. What's Google doing in Germany this week? Well Google's not doing anything in Germany, but if you opt out of Google View, there are groups of people who will throw eggs at your houses. Because you blur out your house in Google View. Um, essentially, they're leaving messages such as uh, leaving Google's messages. Cool. Yeah, Google's cool. Um, but if they blur out the image of the house on the Google Map View, there is a group of vandals who are, and it looks like this is happening in Essen, but they go out, leave notes, and egg the houses. So there's really a. Uh, well, that's definitely a push toward conformity here. Yeah. This whole thing has been a mess. I mean, as it is, I mean, Google, you know, take, um, they got all the Wi-Fi, um, uh, SSIDs from open Wi-Fi and different stuff like that. I mean, they're, they're really in already in some hot water. And then to add this, I mean, Google will be blamed for this, I would imagine, even though they have, I mean, there's no Well, they, they, they are saying it. right off the bat that they, re- they respect people's privacy and they do not consider the egging to be acceptable behavior. But yeah, they'll probably they'll get blamed for it because they, because it's all about Google. Yeah, and you know what's not about Google today? Well, nothing. They're one of the three evil empires. But they do no evil. Yeah, right. That that's what they say. Wait, a, there's only three evil empires. Yeah, Google, Microsoft, and Apple. How about Time Warner? Apparently, they're not evil enough. You know, Time I, Warner I got the and banks. Con- yeah. <laughs> There's three technical, tech, three technical evils. How about that? 
course, Time Warner would... would technological evils? Technological evils. You, I mean, Time Warner goes away without those three companies. I'm sitting here and I'm thinking that the fact that they've got the houses pixelated out actually makes it a little more difficult to catch the uh, people who are vandalizing the houses. Yeah, really. You know, Google needs an exorcism. I think that would fix it. You think so? I do. But in the meantime... I think it's time for us to leave maybe, Facebook. Maybe Facebook needs an exorcism. Yeah, maybe Facebook needs one. Apparently, it's marriages. Yeah, okay. Tell us about so, the article. Okay, on to this next article. Um, apparently, this reverend at a New Jersey church has decided that all of his um, fellowship of his church who are married should all drop their Facebook accounts because Facebook will destroy their marriages. It was more than that. It was a he basically all but ordered them, right? He well, he he, he, ordered, fellowship, but, uh, he ordered the um the whatever the um leaders of the church. They all have to. They have no choice. If you're one of the leaders of this church, you could not be on Facebook or any of the net uh, or the internet networking stuff. Okay, that's what, straight out said. Anyone who's a, who's the leader of the church can't do that. But he couldn't. Apparently, he couldn't actually be quite as direct with the um, average churchgoer. So he's recommending to all of them, if they're married, to get off the social network. And what's his reason for this? It destroys They will find their old lost girlfriend or friends and decide that they're, um, who they're with isn't worth it. Decide that their old old flames Facebook picture is rocking, and let's hook up again. Okay. Yeah. Now, of course, my main thought is, if you're going to go on Facebook and find a um, you know former girlfriend or boyfriend, that probably says your marriage is fucked up already. Well, I was going to agree. I was going to say I'm no psychologist, but yeah, it's it's blaming Facebook for a condition that if if the marriage is in trouble, it's going to be in trouble no matter what. Right. And that's not, you know, you can't say, let's fix the marriage by never, never having temptation because it's not going to happen. The only way to fix the marriage is by basically making the marriage better. And that takes interaction between two people. Yeah, that takes real work. So, so now this- it, it does take stepping away from Facebook and not playing, you know, Farm 51 for hours on end. Farmville. <laughs> Farmville. Yeah, that's right. Hey, speaking yeah, of which, hours and end. Yeah, you need to check my egg plant. <laughs> or Mafia Wars, whatever, <laughs> whatever's hot this week. So, to, but to really show this, which it doesn't sound like he's done any science, it sounds like he no. has just made a correlation and gone with it, he would have to show that there has been statistically more divorces and then in his in his you know in his fellowship and then he would have to show somehow that it's directly caused by facebook How he's got gonna, a correlation uh, yeah. but he doesn't necessarily have a causation <clears throat> right i mean that's what i see there and he probably doesn't even have a very strong correlation oh and apparently only the unmarried are des- are required to delete their facebook account Mm-hmm. Or no, sorry, I, I said that absolutely no, yeah, wrong. Only the married, the married are, yeah. deli- are are required to delete the demon Facebook because it will threaten their marriage. So the unmarried can, you know, hook up over the internet all they want. Right. There you go. Hey, that makes sense to me, really. And it's also something of a control issue. You you, you read it, it's you know, and, and that's one of the feelings I I got from it. Was a lot of control, which isn't too surprising with uh, when you do it. You know, they they have to. To control the, and okay, a lot yeah. of it, you know, something like this definitely falls under that line. He just has an excuse. Now, I want to, because we're talking about Facebook right now, I want to switch down to something a little further down the document right after this, because I, I believe that if they delete their Facebook accounts, they can never be elected to political office. 
Oh, oh really? Well, tell me. Oh, really? Uh, basically, this article was all about the fact that Facebook and Twitter may have actually predicted the election results on the midterm elections. Um, in November's election, the candidate who is more liked on Facebook won in 71% of Senate elections. Twitter was even more accurate with the candidates with more followers <laughs> winning in 74% of elections. Facebook says it watched 118 races in the Senate and the House and found 77 winners had more likes than their opponents did. Furthermore, candidates with twice as many fans as their opponent won by at least 3.9%. You know, that's interesting because, you know, we see you see the same thing like when uh, your kids are vote at school during, you know, election years. You can pretty much tell who at least who's going to win your district, you know, for president um, based on based on that because the kids come in and vote the way that they that their parents are going to. So so they make correlations there. Yeah. So, and why not Twitter and Facebook? And, you know, a lot of these are races of popularity anyway. Yes, yeah. they are. They're not about issues. They're yeah. about who presents himself better. Well, I mean, we saw that a lot this year, I, I thought, with a lot of these candidates, that it was it was what they were. They, I mean, they, you're selling yourself. You really are. And the, the issues, it would be nice if we could, you know, just vote on issues, but I, I don't think. Yeah. So you don't think it's it's safe to throw out the Federal Election Commission and replace it with Facebook? Oh, sure. Well, that'd be just as good. I don't have an issue with that. The Facebook Election Commission. There we go. You know that that, that might be more fair. <laughs> the FEC? Don't we already have one of an FEC? No? Yeah. <laughs> we do. But I just thought that was another interesting... It's an interesting trend, and it's it's showing the effect of the Internet and our lives on the Internet on what's happening in the world. And that's not very surprising, though. It really isn't. No, not surprising, yeah. but interesting. Yeah. All right, let's talk about Michael Bree. <laughs> let's talk about Michael Bree. Uh, this, this is one of those things where you read it, and you're, it's hard to take seriously. This one is it ugly. Really is. No, I, I have no problem uh, taking this seriously. Serious. I, this is ugly, is what this is. Well, it's, it's ugly, but the, the whole premise, you, you know, you this is the kind of stuff that you, you can't believe actually happened. It was hardly difficult, but when you have somebody who yeah. may be mentally unstable this right. kind of stuff can't right. happen so and, and, okay so let's so tell us about the, it. the basic thing is Mulberry, he he was apparently an up-and-coming young actor he had a bit part in the so ugly betty which i have never seen an episode of so i don't know and apparently he was in the movie uh take it to the three take it to the streets 3d i okay. think or, or was it step up 3d it's one of those step it's, it was a dancing movie step, step up okay. 3d um well apparently he killed his mother because he was possessed by demons. Actually, let me ask real quick, Ian. Is there any point in a action, in a, a 3D movie not being an action movie? I didn't say action. I said dance. Oh, sorry. I misunderstood. You kind of cut out for a second there. Okay. Sorry about that. But, yeah, so and he, he, he claims he had all sorts of signs. Stuff like strangers asking him about his mother. Uh, little things like that that were the signs that his mother was possessed. And so he took a three-foot ceremonial Freemason sword and killed his mother with it. Now, Ian, you had some question as to whether uh, a Masonic sword can be used to actually kill somebody with. Yeah, I, um, I mentioned this earlier. I own a Masonic sword that belonged to my great-grandfather. And there's a point to it, but the blade's not very sharp. Yeah, but it's so, still a length of metal. And if you hack at somebody long enough, you're going to do some damage. Yeah, I tend to think that's probably true. I, I had some question as to whether a Masonic sword would kill actual demons, though. 
<laughs> well, that's one of the things he says in the article. So he, he's going through this. He's talking about how, you know, he's seen the signs and he had this dream that he didn't tell anybody about. And all these on all these things that he I mean, he's hearing voices. Um, yeah, he, I, God's talking to him. I yeah. love the fact that he said, I didn't want to kill her right away. I wanted to give her time to get right with God. So in other words, he basically inflicted a, so, a slow, torturous death. Well, in different papers, had different takes on this. I mean, the first article says, you know, he asked her, "Did do you believe in God?" And she said, "No." And he whacked. I mean, I, I mean, there's a lot of, I don't know. I, I don't. It's hard to tell exactly what's going on here. I mean, this guy, and they're holding him for psychi for a psychiatric evaluation, which yeah. I think is an excellent idea. But this shows the danger that's often there with religion. You know, the, the idea, ideas and stuff can really screw up someone this, who's this already... This is an religion issue. Uh, this guy's batshit insane, and it took the form of religion, but it, religion yeah. is no more responsible for this than D&D &D or high rock movie right. music yeah. was responsible for death in the 70s. Absolutely, I agree with that. Okay. I'll, I'll give you that. So this, but, I mean, this is a most unfortunate situation, and and it's unfortunate that it has been linked to a religion, um, because it it shouldn't. Right. This is me me mental illness, but it, it uses the, you know the ideas of demons and stuff. Is you know, I, you don't know how it got in his head. These things become and, excuses. I mean, yeah. they 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 always use as excuses. And if this guy is sane, then there was something else going on. Yeah. All right. Guys, we that we're gonna cut this off. We are out of time now. I mean, okay. we, I think uh, <laughs> we've got another whole document here. We could we could uh, easily do another whole podcast with what we got. But so I think that though. But we're at an hour. We're over an hour. I'd like to go ahead and cut it off there. You guys got okay. anything else? I think that ending it on a guy hacking his mother to death with a masonic sword is probably a high note. <laughs> oh. <laughs> It's it's it really it's, it's actually really very very sad. I do want to see Ian do some research on this though with the Masonic sword that he's got, and let's find out if it <laughs> actually can be used. No, I just want you to scan the symbols and find out scientifically if those actually will kill demons. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <All right. laughs> Anything else? No. Uh, well, check us out on Facebook as always. Leave us some feedback. Um, Whatever. We're, we will continue yeah. to incessantly ask for feedback because we need validation. <laughs> All right. Good night. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. For more information about the Amateur Skeptics, go to AmateurSkeptics.com. To send us feedback, suggestions, or big flaming insults, feel free to contact us at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. Other contact information can be found on our website. To leave a voicemail for the Amateur Skeptics, you can do that at 720-295-7785. Music for this podcast is provided by OFM. You can find out more about OFM at myspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. The Amateur Skeptics Podcast is released under Creative Commons, no derivative 3.5 license. We'd love to have you share our work with other people. Please just do not edit or change the content.